Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we are going to be learning together Nitzavim Shlishi, the third Aliyah in Parshas Nitzavim. The topic of our Aliyah is accountability for secrets. Our Aliyah is 14 psukim long, running from Perakhavtes, Tesvov to Chavches, and it is the longest Aliyah in our very short parasha. Basic summary of the Aliyah is as follows. The Torah tells us that you know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through all these uh, all these different other nations around us. You saw the disgraceful idols, the images, and all the things that they used to do. So now Hashem turns to them and says, You should be careful lest there's a man or woman among you, a family or tribe, who wishes to stray away from Hashem and serve the idols of these nations that you've witnessed. And there's, let's say, a bad weed growing among you, some, something which is rotten, which is, which is developing among you. And when you hear all these curses of Kisava, inside your heart you're really saying, Ah, it'll be fine. Everything will be fine for me. I will do what I want, and I will satiate the thirsty one. Hashem will not forgive such a person, Hashem says. Hashem will be very, very angered by a person who's nodding yes, but behind their backs their fingers are crossed and they've got other ideas. This person will receive all the curses in this book and be destroyed and singled out for destruction until they are completely erased. At which point, the last generation, the foreigner, will look in from a distant land and look at all these curses of the land and all of its sickness and they'll say, they'll see the burnt and scorched land like Sodom and Amorah, which are turned over in the wrath of God, and they'll say, why did Hashem do this? What angered this great anger what caused this and then they will say that it is because this nation left the covenant of their fathers which they made when they left Egypt instead they chose to serve idols and were uh, which were foreign to them and that's why Hashem got angry and brought all these curses and chased them away from the land finally the Aliyah concludes with a very enigmatic pasuk the hidden things are to Hashem our God the revealed things are to us and our children forever to do all the words of this Torah, of this teaching. That's the summary of the Aliyah. A lot of ideas to think about. A few basic questions. Question number one is, who is this person who is in their minds, in their heart, has, has, is second-guessing all the curses they're hearing? Why are they doing this? The Ramban explains that this is a person who is influenced by the nations that they passed through to get you. And that's why the Aliyah starts off by describing you went through Egypt and you went through all these other nations. You passed by all these other nations and perhaps you didn't even remove all the nations of the land that you came to. That being the case, you are therefore influenced by those cultures. You think, well, maybe these cultures are more alluring. Maybe it's worthwhile adopting their culture around me. Something which Jews have fallen prey to in every single country that they have sojourned in. They are always influenced by the culture and usually adopt the culture more than the culture itself. Jews always wanting to live in the areas where the most, the, 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 the most upright of that society, the most um, hedonistic parts of that society live. The Jews try to find favor, try to live in those types, uh, types of lives. That's what's happening here. The Rachel HaKadosh explains that no, this person is challenging the very notion of intergenerationality. That means to say is, they're living a few generations later than this covenant is made in Parashas Nitzavim. And they say to themselves, well, wait a second, because granddad, because great-grandmother accepted this covenant, it affects me. And that's what they're questioning. That's what's happening over here as well. Now, there's, this, there's a phrase of this person that's describing this person, which is quite curious. It says, Very hard to translate that, but in general terms it sounds to, in order to um, add on to the satiated one, the thirsty one. What does that mean exactly? Just It's such an unbelievably curious phrase that there's such different perspectives. The three perspectives are, Rashi explains, you know, the, the, that this is referring to the sinner, 
and the person who's sinning and saying yes by nodding their head but in their heart is saying no, such a person Hashem will single out for bad in such a way that they, Hashem will take all their unintentional sins which are usually not taken onto credit in the same way and will add them onto their intentional sins. So Rava refers to their um, unintentional sins almost like a person who's satiated drunk, a person doing it without full control of mind. And that's being added to tzmea, all the virus done in sobriety when a person is in control, they're intentional. So that's the way Hashem will be sorting that person out. Then Ibn Ezra says, no, it's actually the rationale of the person who's doing this. Rava, the person who is satiated, refers to a tzaddik, a righteous person. Tzmea, the thirsty person, refers to the rasha, the evil person. So the person thinks, look, I can live a bad life because I'm in a society surrounded by those who are righteous. And I can coast along based on their spiritual clout. Well, such a person, like Kodesh Baruch says, will not succeed in just submerging themselves and thinking that they are not being noticed as they do things behind closed doors. The Ramban says something which is quite shocking. It's actually the basic psychology of how this works, of how indulgence works. And that is, is that you can have a person who is rava, a person who's satiated and happy, they've got everything they need, and they add just a little bit of tzmea, just a little bit of thirst into their life, just a little bit of indulgence. I just want a little bit of this, I'll t- taste a little bit of this, I'll watch a little bit of this, I'll engage in such and such. Well, once you start doing that, a full soul will suddenly become more and more and more thirsty. Because the way indulgence works is it grows. There's never enough. There's never the frontier. There's never the horizon that you arrive out, er, arrive at. And therefore, it is a continual process of more and more tzmea. It may start off being rava, but the moment you start letting it go, then there's no control. It becomes a bottomless pit of need, of thirst, of desire. He describes in a in shocking way that a society which is overly indulged in sexual activity will end up exploring homosexuality and bestiality as a function of it being too satiated and too, uh, too indulgent, therefore thirsting for more. He, in fact, he quotes the Gemara in Sukkah, which is to be found on Daphne and Beis on Beis, that the Gemara says, Mar referring to a person's sexual drive. Mar if you make it thirst, if you make the body not have enough savea, then it feels fan, it feels that it's, it's been fed properly. Must be, oh, you give it enough, you give it all indulgences at once, ra'ev, and it's always going to be hungry. And that is the way psychologically indulgence works. That's what we're referring to this person. Be very careful of the cycle, of the spiral of desire and indulgence. Another question is, at the end of the earlier we talk about there's this episode of destruction and people are looking in and saying, how is this happening? What's going on over here? So it seems to me that this must be referring to a later generation. After all, one of the questions that this person or these people had was, wait a second, why should this be applicable to me? After all, it was my great-great-grandmother who accepted this, not me. Why should I be held accountable? So you know what happens is when you think that you're not accountable, Hashem will bring it upon you, show that you're accountable, everybody will look in and say, why is this person being punished? And you will be forced, and those around you will be forced to confront the reality that yes, generations later, you're still accountable, you're still part of it. So this is the lesson, this is the answer to such a, um, a claim. Finally, the last pasuk requires a lot of unpacking, but just two perspectives. What does it mean that the hidden things are to Hashem, the revealed things to, our, to us and our children? Rashi explains that after being told that everybody can be punished for the hidden songs, uh, sins of their neighbor, that that can create such havoc. How, how could it be that I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, and that person next door, behind closed doors, is, do, you know, is, is, is experiencing indulgence and doing what they want, 
why should that affect me? Why should why should I suffer for the things that are hidden? I have no control over. So Hashem says, don't worry. Hanistaros, the hidden sins, Hashem will punish for. That Hashem will deal with individually. But when it comes to Haniglos, things which are revealed, that's what you have the responsibility for taking care of in order not to let it come to the point that Hashem has to take care of it. Rashi adds on, of course, that there are dots over the word Niglos in the Torah. It's actually in the actual Torah scroll itself to indicate that this was only the idea that Hashem will, uh, will step in or take responsibility for the re- revealed sins um, later on is only going to be um, is only going to be applicable when they cross the Jordan, when they actually come into the land of Israel itself. I did hear a very beautiful idea many, many years ago from um, a lady called Naama Notman. Um, who grew up in, uh, I grew up in her shul. She said a very beautiful idea, um, which I've not been able to find actually in a safer, but it says a very, very powerful idea. And that is, is that it, it all depends on how we decide to take our um, reward or punishment. Let's talk about sins for a second. Let's say a person sins and they make that sin nistar. So they hide that sin. They don't tell anybody about it. They don't do anything about it. Well, hanistaros Hashem Hashem will take care of it. When a person gets up to up to the to the next stage after after death, Hakadosh Baruch Hu will have a have a, have a, have a meeting with that person. They'll have to deal with the hidden sins in their lives. Niglois. But let's say a person sinned and they take responsibility of it and publicly they they talk about how they're going to fix it and how they went through a bad time. But now they're going to take responsibility. Well, if they go through enough contrition and real shiva, then there's very little for Hashem to need to take care of in the next world because they actually publicly owned it and went through the suffering necessary in this world. On the, other, on the flip side, the merits. Let's say a person does something really good and the person never tells anybody about it, anything about it. Nobody else, he doesn't boast, doesn't tell anybody. So that Hanistarois, the hidden things, then when a person gets to the world to come, Hakash Baruch says, well, you didn't get any reward in this world. I'll make sure you get the full response to doing a this this incredible mitzvah that you did in this world. But Niglos, a person who does one small thing and then tells the entire world how important and how special and how, how worthy they are, well, Hashem then says, Niglos, you already took your reward in this world. You don't need me to give you the reward because you decided that it was so important for you to for, for you to be hashtag, I'm a great great person. Well, then in the end of the day, Akash Baruch Hu won't necessarily be giving it to you in the world to come because you're using up the merit as well. This concludes the third Aliyah. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.